0: Are you frustrated with your co-parent? Do you sometimes find yourself hoping that you and your co-parent will one day get along better than you even did in your marriage? Or more secretly, wish your co-parent would meet with an untimely or maybe painful demise. (laughs) It's okay. We understand. But I'm afraid that neither of those fantasies are helping you move on with your life. We think this podcast will help you learn how to put those fantasies in the past. In each episode, we address difficult dilemmas that many co-parents face and will help you decide should you hold on to the conflict for the sake of the kids or let it go for the same reason. These issues are often complicated, but the solutions can be easier than you think. So get ready for this unconventional ride. You might be surprised. It could change your life. If you've got a dilemma to share, please call our voicemail number at 1-234-DILEMMA or email us at 1234dilemma at gmail.com. Welcome to Co-Parent Dilemmas, where we offer practical solutions to those impossible co-parents. I'm Diane Dirks.
1: And I'm Rick Foyles.
0: Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Diane. How are you? What's happening?
1: How are you? <laughs> Not a lot going on over here. I understand you got a lot going on over there.
0: I do. We have contractors in the house, so we might have dogs barking. Although I trust you'll edit that out. <laughs> so, although our listeners probably would like to hear dog barking, you know, dogs are an amazing comfort. At least yes, in my they life, so. are. Speaking of comfort. Hmm. We had a listener uh, call in, Sarah. She's from London, which is very exciting. Yeah. I noticed on our stats when I looked at our statistics, we've got quite a few people from Australia and London as Ooh. listeners. So, I'm excited we have become international now. Yay. So, let's play that clip.
1: Hi there. This is Sarah from London. I've been listening to your show and I've really enjoyed All of the advice about setting boundaries with my co-parent, but that's the problem. My ex-husband wants us to be the best of friends, and he tells me the kids need to see us getting on well and that we should spend family time together, but I'd rather not. We're a divorce for a lot of reasons, and I really don't want to be around him all the time. Is it bad for our kids if we just move on with our lives separately? I mean, he gets angry when I refuse to spend time with them and the children. I'm just wondering where the balance is.
0: Thank you so much. Love your guys' show. We hear this a lot, don't we?
1: Yes, we do. Uh,
0: Especially with the newly divorced. And I know we do a lot of work with veterans of divorce going back to court and the high conflict people. This is generally a newly divorced problem. And in what way? Why why is it a problem for some people to want to stay connected to their ex and the other parent not wanting that connection?
1: Well, as often is the case when we work with people, it's an issue of boundaries. There's a set of boundaries when we're together as a couple, but those change in a divorce Mm -hmm. situation. We are now legally divorced, and now we're working on the process of the emotional divorce, which requires careful attention to healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. And usually one person doesn't understand that.
0: Yeah. Well, there could be a couple of things going on here. In my experience, the person who wants to stay connected is not really ready to give up on the marriage, maybe. Doesn't or, want to
1: deconnect or decouple. Yes,
0: right. <laughs> and they will use the children as an excuse as to why we should stay together, do things together. Even, okay, okay, we're getting a divorce, but we really should, for the sake of the children, go out to dinner every Friday night or go to the movies together together or even vacation together just to show the kids that we can still be a quote unquote family. And that usually resolves itself over time as the grief process resolves, right? Yes. Then we have another set of people who are more into controlling and saying, you have to do this. We have to do what is right for the kids. And there's a veiled threat. If you don't, I'm going to tell the kids you're the bad guy. Right, (laughs) Which is a way to control somebody else. So one is I would categorize someone who's just not through the grief process, who's really in denial about the status of the marriage, who's trying but having a difficult time not letting go. And the other person is using the children as a pawn, maybe. To maintain control. And and that can cause a lot of fear in the other parent. Definitely, If I don't do all these things like he or she says, then he or she's going to tell my children I'm a bad parent or I don't care about the family or whatever they're prone to saying to the kids. And you and I have talked many times about this. I don't care how much you try to manage somebody else's words and behavior. You could do everything perfectly and they could still say that about you.
1: Absolutely. Right. Right.
0: So it really is a futile attempt to try to adjust your behavior, hoping the parent will never say anything bad about you.
1: Yeah. That Mm -hmm. emotional divorce requires us to step through some process of grief. Usually the lever has gone through that process before filing and they've reached the acceptance stage, but the levy ends up now in the process of beginning that grief. And that puts them both at two very different stages. And with terms like family, those can become triggering words. Yes,
0: exactly. And that person who is in denial, they, really i mean it's it's a it's a true feeling. this can't be happening to me. Right. certainly, I can fix it, and the other parent, like you said, who's been thinking about this a long time, probably silently, has done their silent grief, maybe several cycles of it before yes. they finally say, "I'm done, I can't do this anymore and it really kind of throws the other parent into a shock, yes, <laughs> but she doesn't tell us how far along divorce they are, whether it's a new divorce or five years down the road. But let's talk a little bit about regardless of what the reason is, what is the pitfall of agreeing to do those family things together, especially in the beginning? How does it affect the other parent? How does it affect the children?
1: Yes. I had an example of someone who was asking about, well, let's get together and walk the dog in the park. And, okay, that sounds kind of innocent. And be clear, we may be able to do that down the road five years from now. But early on, it's not necessarily a good idea. You're going to end up feeding the denial or feeding the false hope that, ooh, we may be able to stay together or get back together. And that danger is for the other co-parent, but also for the children, depends Mm -hmm. on where they are in that grief process.
0: There's this little thing called confirmation
1: bias,
0: (laughs) (laughs) which means that our brains are an amazing organ. And when we so desperately want something to be true, our brains will actually go out and look for any piece of information that will affirm what our brains want to be true. And so something as simple as a walk on a Saturday afternoon in the park with the kids is all the other parent needs to confirm. She really does love me. Right. Because That's what the brain is looking at. The brain forgot about the email I got last night that set the clear boundary. Yes, (laughs) because that doesn't confirm what I want to believe. So it, it really is a psychological concept that happens in our brains. It's also why we tell, Stories and embellish our stories about our ex. You know, five years down the road, you realize, yeah, I probably embellished those three stories about my ex (laughs) (laughs) because I was needing so desperately to have my story. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's just the way that our brain works, which is why it's such a bad idea to tell your kids your stories because oftentimes they're not completely true. They're a little bit embellished to make you feel better. (laughs) So, Sarah, if your divorce is fairly new, and by new, I mean within the first two years, right? Because we always say it takes about two years to really go through your grief and get over it. Then it's possible that your co-parent is innocently going through what we just described. And you may need to just say no, but say no kindly. Thank well, that's the asking. other thing.
1: What yeah. do you say kindly? How do you say it in such a way? Granted, they can read it any way they want and say negative things about you. But if I am going to model a healthy boundary to the other parent, what are some words that I can say?
0: If you can muster up your human brain <laughs> <laughs> and not your wounded spouse brain, right? hmm In my experience, people that are grieving just really need you to connect with what they're feeling. So Sarah might say, you know, I know this is really hard. It's been hard on me too, and it's hard to let go of, but I think we might be sending the wrong message to the kids if we pretend that we're still together. It's okay. A lot of parents don't know this, but kids really can do fine without you acting like you're still together.
1: Right. Right. Definitely Especially
0: cooperative parents, I think, really worry about that. We want to get a divorce because we don't really get along or like each other that much or whatever their issue was in the marriage, but we're willing to sacrifice all those feelings for the sake of the kids because they're convinced they can't be okay. So Sarah, if you keep doing it, and I guess that would be the I don't know which would be the letting go and the holding on in Sarah's situation. <laughs> well, and,
1: and uh, yeah, that's good. Um, she is part well, and let's let's go back to the cooperative just a little bit because okay. our audience is predominantly the impossible parent, and we're striving hard to create solutions for our non-impossibles. So they can move on, be a healthy person, and be the best parent they could possibly be for their children. But there's also risk involved to those people that are cooperating. Oftentimes, I get this message that, well, if a little bit of cooperating is good, then a whole lot of cooperating is (laughs) better, right? And they miss these points. And children end up staying stuck in a grief process, they stay in denial. I re- you remember the old movie, The Parent Trap? They remade yes. several times. Right, yeah.
0: those <laughs> that are... really unrealistic movie that you can get your parents back together. I do remember yes. that. Yes,
1: <laughs> those kids are stuck in the grief process. And of yeah. course they made it look fun and funny, but, but that's not healthy. So, so we want to we want to communicate, yes, you can be nice to each other, and cooperating is good, but too much getting together as a family, going on vacations, still together, that can be very confusing to the kids.
0: And here's something else that's very unfair that could happen with the children, and it make would make perfect sense. So you get a divorce for the first year you act like you're not divorced, right? Even though you're living separately, you're spending lots of time with the kids. The kids are loving it because they're saying, well, nothing's really different other than I'm sleeping in two different houses. Right. And then mom meets some guy on a dating site. (laughs) Yes. Dad meets some girl at church and they start dating. And it's quite possible. And and parents will always say, well, I would never date anyone who didn't understand my co-parent relationship. Well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So you fall in love and John meets Sally and Sally says, I don't really want to hang out with your ex-wife. Right. I don't want to go on that.
1: Dog uh, walk with your ex. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I don't really want to go on a cruise with your ex. Yep. So dad changes his mind and begins to not do that anymore. Who do the kids blame?
1: Oh, yeah, they're going to blame the new person in the relationship. They're going to blame Sally.
0: Yep. Big bad evil Sally, the big interloper. Yep. And is it Sally's fault?
1: No. So no, it's it's setting up be...
0: Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> we were going to say the same thing. Yes, yeah, <laughs> say it. Setting the kids up for pain down the road. Now you may say I'm committed to never marrying again or I'm going to stay celibate or I'm going to wait till my kids are 18 and this you you know that's fine if you're going to do that but what's the statistic on people to get married within five years
1: of divorce? 75%. And that's yeah. just in the next five years. It doesn't count the statistics on yeah. year six, seven, right. or eight.
0: And when, we're, when we used to teach the in-person classes, Rick used to say that you could see everybody in the room deflate. <laughs> like, right. No way. I tell me that. There's no way. But, you know, after you grieve and you get lonely, you decide it might be nice to have a partner again, right? So it's extremely common that you will, and it's extremely rare that you won't. So I want you to think about your future partners and how your children get off on the right foot with them by not having these expectations, and then viewing the new person as the one who ruined our family that can't be good as you start off on a new relationship. No. So back to Sarah, I think her holding on is kind of wanting to do what he wants her to do.
1: Yeah. I think he's trying afraid. to hope he's trying to hold on and she's really in a dilemma. I want to do the right thing and I don't want to look bad or put myself in a risky position of the other parent accusing me of being bad but I don't want to do this either. I, I divorced you for a reason. I don't yeah. want to hang out with you. And I think it is a struggle with what are the respectful responses. Yes. I liked yours. I mean, that yeah. was very reflective. Yeah. We're both having struggles. Uh, you know, this is difficult for both of us and it may be difficult for the children if we continue yeah. to, to and, do this. And
0: if John is really sincere in his denial <laughs> and you, you phrase it, right. He's likely not to go to the kids and be angry, but if you're like over John and you are ready to move on, and I'm calling him John, Sarah, I don't know what your co-parent's name is, <laughs> but if you're over him, it's real gonna be real easy to get frustrated And say, forget it, leave me alone. Stop acting like we're married. And then she's likely to hurt him more and out of his hurt, he's more likely to say things to the kids about you. So it really is about reaching deep down in and onto your human empathetic side. (laughs) And just acknowledging that this is a difficulty for the other parent.
1: And I could see it may be as simple as saying, I'm not comfortable doing this it's not helpful for me to continue mm-hmm. this kind of exposure and so i would prefer not to do it for my own sure. well-being
0: yeah so either one of those responses would work now let's play devil's advocate here let's say that sarah's ex is one of those that we talk about many times in our classes where they gauge you in the double bind Hmm. They show that very empathetic kind of kind side. Oh, let's do these things together. It'll be good for the kids. Yay. They invite you into their world in a way that feels very enticing. So you give in for a little while, you give them an inch and they do what?
1: They take the mile. They're going to, it's they a trap. Take the mile. Yep.
0: So now I'm trying to be the good co-parent with you. And all you're really doing is trying to take advantage of me. So I start setting up that boundary. No, I'm not going to do this anymore. I feel like you're taking advantage of me. And then they start throwing the arrows at you. You're a terrible co-parent. I'm going to tell the judge you won't co-parent with me. So if you give in to their requests to try to be this, what looks like cooperative, but it's really manipulative. Yes. (laughs) Then you get taken advantage of, if you set a boundary, they tell the court, you won't co-parent with them. And that's why we call it a double bind. Either way, it feels like I can't win with you. And that happens years after the divorce. That has nothing to do with grief. That has no. to do with me just wanting to get a, a leg up, take advantage of your goodwill, and then I'm going to turn around and sort of stab you in the back. So we, I think with this, we also have to acknowledge that sometimes this, we should go have lunch with the kids is another manipulative tool to get you to think, I'm changed now. You can trust me. Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess for our listeners, only, you know, who you're dealing with. You can kind of gauge for yourself, probably based on your relationship prior to divorce or separation, whether you're dealing with an innocent person who's in denial. Or you're dealing with a manipulator, and it still doesn't matter which one. You use the same boundary techniques, yes. right, Rick?
1: Regardless, it's the yeah. same boundary. Good and, stuff. Good and stuff. I want to I want to talk a, a little empathetically to Sarah, because this probably is one of the hardest parts of redefining ourselves. It takes a lot of work to look at yourself and say well maybe my boundaries need to be better and if you're going to do hard work after the divorce in order to have healthier relationships in the future it will be around this kind of issue where i'm looking at myself do i have healthy boundaries how do i maintain my healthy boundaries Mm -hmm. and it means that i have to do the work on me that's hard
0: And it may require some counseling. Yes. I've encountered a lot of people coming out of marriages, especially if they were the one who was sort of overshadowed by the other parent, and they've lived in a 10-year marriage. That's 10 years of losing yourself. Yes. (laughs) Some of the work they have to do coming out of that is, gee, what are my values? Because I've been living my... Ex-parent, my ex-wife or ex-husband's values for 10 years because I wasn't allowed to have mine. Yep. And what I usually find is they're in there. They just, you haven't ta- thought about them for 10 years. And we have to redefine what that is for you and you alone. And when you do that, it's very empowering. Okay. Now I know how to handle every situation because I know who I am.
1: Yes. And you're right. This was probably the hardest work I had to do, and it did require counseling for me to move through that process. Yep.
0: All right. Well, Sarah, thank you for your uh, question. And we invite everyone all over the world (laughs) to please send in their questions and dilemmas.
1: Wait, you mean co-parents are bad in different cultures and countries too?
0: (laughs) Yes. You know, I'm realizing, again, on social media, just talking to people, it's universal. It Mm. really is. Now, I can't understand some of the languages, but anyone who speaks English in other countries, I'm hearing about it. Wow. It's the human condition. Yes. All right, Rick. Good job. Thanks, Sarah. And I will talk to you next week.
1: All right. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye. We hope this episode was helpful to you. If you'd like to share your dilemma or tell us how something we said has benefited your situation, please call 1-234-DILEMMA. That's 234-362-3445. Or email 1234-DILEMMA at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Co-Parent Dilemmas wherever you get your podcasts and give us a favorable rating. That will make us more accessible to co-parents who are searching for help. Thank you for being part of our non-impossible family.